Welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hi there. Welcome again to the Shutterbug Life podcast. This is Linford Morton. You can call me Lynn. And I am glad that you are again starting your week with me and the rest of our community of Shutterbugs or enthusiast photographers. This is the place where we all learn, we share, and we all grow together. It's so much fun. And I've been having a lot of fun, not just with the podcast, but talking with all of you. It is July 5th right now, and in the United States yesterday, we celebrated our Independence Day. A a couple days, I did a special podcast episode on photographing fireworks, because I knew a lot of us would be doing that. Now, I get a lot of emails from people who were, you know, other lists, photography teachers and coaches, and, you know, everyone seemed to have a list on or a blog post on how to photograph fireworks, but I thought it'd be cool if you could actually just listen to someone telling you and talking you through it, which is um, what I did. So, and I heard back from a number, a few of you, even in the Facebook group, um, saying it was helpful. So I'm really glad to hear that. And, and, but even more so, I was happy to see, as you all posted your fireworks pictures, that we did got some good stuff. You all really Got some great pictures. Um, I went out and I shot two, and but I haven't even downloaded my pictures yet. So I'm hoping to do that this weekend. Perhaps post some in post something on in the Facebook group and on Flickr and on Instagram. So if you follow me on any of those platforms, you will see, and I'll have links in the show notes for this episode. Uh, so. That's what, well, I guess we were, the Shutterbug life uh, entailed of this week, going out and photographing fireworks and celebrating um, the holiday. I hope you had a good holiday if you celebrated it. I heard from, um, from uh, I think, Rebecca up in, 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 in Canada that she said, we're celebrating with you all too. So thanks to the neighbors to the north for celebrating with us. Uh, and uh, and getting and sharing your images as well. So we had a lot of fun with that. Anyway, enough of all of that. Today we have uh, an episode where we will continue on the theme and topic of gear. Uh, the last several episodes I know have been talking about gear, and especially uh, a week or so ago when I introduced the completely biased camera buying guide. And when I did, it was... Really, I was focused on buying a DSLR, and uh, as as I said before, that I gave all I gave not just what you would think about when you're buying a DSLR, but features worth upgrading for, as well as specific recommendations. and And I've really been focused on DS on DSLR buying and purchasing, and 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 learning more about that platform. But today we take a um, a departure and we look at choosing a mirrorless camera. Uh, 
You know, this is the, I guess, all the rage now in photography markets, especially uh, with bloggers and podcasters as well, um, the mirrorless camera. And so we'll talk about it today. We'll, we'll, and I'll talk about my journey as well, because, you know, that might be helpful as a way of framing the conversation and giving you some things to think about as you consider whether or not you want to move toward the mirrorless and even if you've already decided you you will um, how you go about uh, making that a specific decision all right so that's what we'll talk about today choosing a mirrorless camera on episode 27027 of the shutterbug life podcast <laughs> Okay, so I have a confession. I have been a bit of a DSLR snob. And you might even know this already. You might have picked up on it, but I, I have been a DSLR snob. And, and the reason I say that is because I shoot primarily, almost exclusively with DSLRs. And I've not ever found anything other than a DSLR that made me happy when I was taking pictures. Now, the last three to five years or so, you've seen the industry move to mirrorless cam, you know, introducing mirrorless cameras and then improving on them. So much so that all the cool kids, I say that in air quotes, all the cool kids in the photography circles and networks online, they've all been going on and on about uh, going mirrorless and you have the the internet celebrity photographers all saying oh I'm trading in all my cameras and only going mirrorless I'm not even going to name names but if you've listened you probably have heard of that already and I just couldn't get there I couldn't get there and and while I looked on and said oh good for you I couldn't get there and so I just went ahead and 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 embrace the fact that I just might be a DSLR snob, and that's why. Well, lately, I've sort of been, my evolution has continued, and I have now come around to begin to, I, I, I decided about six months ago to start giving them another hard look. And I was, because I really want a camera that I could, that's small, that I can walk around with, and that I can just throw in a pocket and, and when, when carrying my DSLR might not be practical. And so I've been looking at them again and really now I'm like, wow, I, I think I, we might have reached a point where I can no longer claim to be the, the DSLR snob. It reminds me of when you know, I was shooting only film and digital was new. And I, I remember my sister was went out and got herself a digital camera. And I and I thought to myself, ha, that's that will never replace film cameras. I said to myself, I, you know, and to her, oh, how many of a years ago? And then I saw her posting all these great pictures of her kids on, you know, and emailing them to us and posting them. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool that she can take that many pictures because she has a digital camera. And of course, as you know, the quality began to improve. And so I was forced to rethink my position as I am again now. Now, about mirrorless cameras. First of all, uh, the mir let's talk about 
what it is, and uh, and then we'll go from there. Just for those of you who are going, what in the world is he talking about? So a mirrorless camera is, let's talk about just cameras in general. So, so let's talk about um, the difference between that and, and the DSLR camera, right? So the DSLR, which is what I've been talking about, is a digital single lens refix, reflex camera. And it's based on the design of the 35 millimeter film cameras. And the way that it works is you are looking, when you look through your viewfinder, you're actually looking through the lens. And, and you see yourself looking, your viewfinder is not lined up with the lens. It's usually just a little bit above it. And so you're just, you might wonder, how is it that I'm looking through the lens then? Well, it's because there's a mirror there. When you look through your viewfinder, you're actually looking at a mirror that's reflecting through the lens so that when you are framing up your shot and you have, you're know, focusing and framing and doing all that good stuff, you're actually seeing exactly what the camera is going to take because you're looking through the lens. And with old point and shoots, you'd be looking through you'd look through one um you'd look through you know, your sort of a, an eyepiece and your photograph would be taken from a different location which is where your lens was and so you would not what you see isn't always what you got they called it um parallax error so now DSLRs fixed that because you're looking through the lens and and now you're looking at, th at this mirror reflecting what's going on through your lens and when you decide to take a picture and you depress the shutter the mirror snaps up out of the way and then the light can actually go through the lens land on the sensor expose it and capture the image so all this happens in the split second when you decide to take a photograph now because of this lens and prism technology that required you to look at the mirror and then the mirror to snap out of the way and then light, let, let light in to take your um, to record the image, because of all of this, the cameras tended to be a little larger and bulkier so that so that it could accommodate the whole mirror effect and mirror and prism and and the housing and everything else that you know need you needed to have for that. So the camera had to be a little bigger. And, and so now, so you, your choices were once upon a time either that or your, you know, your point shoot where you can't replace the lens, where you're not looking through the lens, and you just, and, and so it was a far cry from that to your single lens reflex camera. And now we have this hybrid, which we're not calling mirrorless, and what it's done is giving you the best of both worlds in that it's now it no longer has that mirror as the as the name suggests then that mirror that pops up and down when you're taking a photograph it doesn't use that anymore so now you're looking straight through um the lens but there's no mirror going up and down so when you take a photograph the light just goes straight through and exposes um and, and and the light goes through onto the sensor of the camera where it captures the image. Okay. So because you don't have that mirror and prism technology, you can make the camera smaller again. And and now that you you've you've made the camera smaller, you also have the ability to to change lenses, which is something you couldn't do with point and shoot. So I can go from a fifty millimeter to a zoom and back and forth now with my mirrorless interchangeable lens camera.
So this is what we're talking about when we say, when we talk about this whole mirrorless technology. It means now that you have this hybrid that gives you the best of both worlds, meaning you can change lenses and you can get good quality and you can have it small enough so that you can take it around with you everywhere you go. So then hearing all that, why was I poo-pooing it? So yeah. I started looking at mirrorless cameras several years ago, and the first few times I looked at I looked at them, I came away that that they weren't ready for prime time for my preferences. And 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 why did I say that? Well, the quality just wasn't there, uh, you know, four or five years ago. And and when I say that specifically, I mean things like. ISO performance, which for me was important. I want to be able to shoot in a lots of different conditions and still have good quality. And the early mirrorless cameras I tested didn't give me the same quality in, in higher ISOs and low light that I got from my DSLR. And I, I don't want to make a switch to a camera that's going to give me um, performance-wise um, less, res you know, inferior results to what I'm used to shooting with. And so that was, uh, that was for me, a speed bump. Um, there was the, the accessing the controls in some of the models I looked at was just a bit cumbersome. So for instance, Nikon, when it first released its um, mirrorless camera, I think it was the J1. Um, I rented it and shot with it for a weekend because I was just ready to buy it. I was set to go buy and I rented it and found out that the that the the exposure triangle controls were buried like a level or two deep in the menu. And when I say that, I mean I want to be able to when I'm shooting, I want to be able to have quick access to things like. Um, whether I'm going to shoot in manual mode or whether I'm going to shoot in um, one of the one of the priority modes like shutter priority or aperture priority, I want to be able to to access that quickly. And you couldn't access that quickly at all because you had to go into the menu to do that. And for me, that's an that was a that was a quality of life um, fail, if you will, because I I need to be able to get to that quickly. Exposure compensation was hard to get to, and I want to be able to make those adjustments quickly if I need to, and I don't want to have to stop and go into the menu to do it. That was a major fail for me. I looked at an early Sony, I think one of the early Sony NEX models, and there were other similar features. I think it was ISO and white balance, which you you really had to go hunting to find them. And I thought, this is a poor design. There are certain features I need to be able to get to quickly, and to not do that is just a fail for me. Um... The feel was was awkward for someone who shoots with a DSLR all the time. So, you know, when I'm shooting, I'm typically not just shooting with a DSLR, but I usually have a battery grip on it, which is, a, you know, the piece that you screw onto the bottom, which holds another extra battery so that you have more battery life. And then if you shoot in portrait mode, you also have the shutter release still in the same position, the top right corner. And so being used to what a lot of people would consider a big, heavy camera starts to feel natural after you shoot, shot with it for a long time. And so a smaller camera then just feels awkward. Okay, I can get over that if I need to. But that's sort of one of the things when every when you find other things you don't like, that too becomes a, 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 an, an annoyance that becomes cumulative. Um... 
So then they talked, the lens choices back then weren't as great as they were today. So you, there were just a few lenses that they'd released for these cameras. And, and, and the workaround they announced was, hey, you can put an adapter on it and use your old Nikon or Canon lenses. And I thought to myself, well, that sort of defeats the purpose of getting a small camera if you're just going to stick a big old, you know, honking lens on it again. So now you have the same footprint. Why bother? why bother it just seemed to be too much so then there was that and then the viewfinder was on some of them was something they just sort of looks like they plopped on top of the cameras and afterthought and you get to squint to see through it and if you're used to using viewfinder again like i said i was a dslr snob all these things just annoyed me to no end and so i decided this these things aren't ready for prime time i'm going to move on so, in as I said, in a few months ago, I started looking again because I really want a walk-around camera and saw that because I've been hearing announcements of a lot of these new um, Sony's been every six months announcing that, you know, they've got a new uh, mirrorless camera hitting the market and and the technology just seems to be growing by leaps and bounds on that platform. If you remember in earlier episodes, um, I talked about I, I fret I was fretting that that there's just no innovation happening now on the DSLR side. Sure, if you're going to buy a DSLR, you want to buy a Nikon, Canon, those two in particular for lots of reasons. But but there's not a lot of innovation there. Each new you know camera that comes out, each new model they bring out looks like it's they're just it's just iterative, it's just minor improvements and nothing. Nothing to get excited about, but on the mirrorless side, they're bringing. There's lots there that's happening. That you know, if you're if you are into photography, that there's lots there. Lots there to be excited about, and 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 then there are lots more players in that market and competing. And I think when you have that many players competing, then it also spurs on more innovation and more competition. And at the in the end us the consumer and the photographer we benefit greatly from that so when you are looking at if you look at the mirrorless camera market they're clearly clearly aiming it at two different kinds of people and you say who is this for and who are they making these cameras for and and the first would be I think a camp that I would fit into the 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 kind of photographer who typically shoots on a DSLR model and decides they want a second cam- camera to walk around with to do street travel anything like that and you want something and, and you want a camera to take around when it's not practical to take to lug the big DSLR and lenses around and you're not happy enough with the the amount of control that you get from the from your mobile phones to make that your substitute. So, so there's the there's the first market. It's the 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 enthusiast or professional level photographer who has a DSLR and is happy with it, but just wants a second smaller lightweight camera to take around. And then the the second uh, market they're they're heading. They're, it seems like they're looking at. And I only tell you this because you can see if you find yourself in any of these um, profiles. The second one is for photographers, for photographers who want this as their primary or exclusive camera. Meaning, you know what they for 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 you, it's really about 
convenience. Usually you f these are people who do a lot of traveling. You know if you travel these days, you want to keep your footprints as light as possible you know, with the airlines charging you to check extra bags and who wants to check your camera gear anyway because, you know, it'll get banged around if not stolen. I've had cameras stolen that way before, long time ago. Um, but that's another story. But, you know, so if you travel a lot, you might appreciate being able to travel with a little, with a lighter footprint, with smaller cameras and lenses that still get you the same level of performance that you're used to. Or if you are used to doing things like street photography, where you want to get out and shoot, but you don't want the kind of camera that's going to draw too much attention to you. You want to be able to just move around lightly and shoot and not not be detected as easily. And so um, you'll find that a lot of, of people who are buying these mirrorless cameras will fit into one of these two camps. And so you might think about, you know, whether and you know, what kinds of shooting because I was, because I said, I think on the, on the early episode, before you buy a new camera, you think, you know, what am I shooting and where am I shooting? And that can help drive some of your decision making. So if you are either looking for a second lightweight camera or if you're looking for a primary camera, but you need it to be lightweight because you are moving around quite a bit, either for travel or street photography, you probably fit one of the prime target areas for people who are for camera manufacturers who are making mirrorless cameras. Now, so... I, I talked about some of the frustrations earlier, and really, you can, if you start looking at a lot of the models, you find that they've corrected almost all of those issues that I had with them earlier on. And the cameras that are coming out now are really top notch. And and I talk about these two um, these two different profiles, meaning the second camera versus the primary, because you'll find the range of mirrorless cameras to be pretty great, as well as the price points. And so for the, I sort of think of a second camera as being something I wouldn't spend more than a thousand dollars on, because, you know, I already have a camera where I'm going to spend my, you know, good money if I decide to. Um, this is just a second one, so I don't want to break the bank on it. But I do want have to have similar level quality. And so the other one for people who shoot primarily on this, you have really options that will go up in, ter in terms of performance up to full frame cameras, up to the new announcement from Sony. So they have a 42 megapixel full frame, you know, all kinds of belt and whistles camera that they just announced in the A7R2 Um so you've got options, plenty of options. As a matter of fact, when I went to DP Review and looked at their recommendations, you know, their their top 10 came from top 10 very different cameras, very different price points for entry levels, and seven different manufacturers in that list of top 10. So you have Fujifilm cameras, you have Sony, you have Samsung, Pentax, Nikon, Olympus, and Panasonic, Panasonic Lumix. And I tell you what, you have good options in all seven of those brands and platforms. You really do. You can find any one of those and, and not, you know, make a, depending on what's important to you, make a decision that you should be happy with. On, and you'll find people happy with almost all of those. You know, I looked at all of them, and for the sub-$1,000 um, 
market, I came away with uh, thinking about the Sony A6000. I want to talk about that one just because I can't talk about all 10. So I'm just going to, again, talk about my own experience as a way for you to think about how you might evaluate some of the other camera brands or models you might be looking at. Okay. Now, remember, I, I was poo-pooing before when I said I was a DSLR snob. And I looked at the Sony, and I've been reading up and, and doing a lot of research on it. And last week, I actually took the pil pilgrimage to B&H in New York, in Manhattan, to, to get my hands on one and to talk with someone I knew who, who would know what they were talking about. I just wanted to spend some time with it and just sort of touch and feel. And remember, that's one of the things I said you want to do is sort of, you know, get a real feel for the camera. And, and so there are a number of, you can see the feature list. Um, I'll, I'll post that. But a, a couple of things that I, I liked about this camera, which you will find across a lot of them in this range. Um, now, this camera is about, you know, you can get it with a lens for about eight, seven to $800. So it's, you know, well within the sub $1,000 range. And, and within that range is probably the best value you will find. And it's not just me, but you'll find a lot of reviews saying the same thing. It's probably the best value you will find for that, that price point. And we'll start with the sensor size. It's APS-C size, and that means it's the size, same size sensor that you find in the the entry and consumer level DSLRs that you would typically find, like the Nikon D5500 or the Canon 70D or T6i or T5i, rather. Same size sensor, and so you can expect similar if not better performance than you would in those larger cameras because it's again sporting the same size sensor and you know that's the 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 larger the sensor is the better performance you'll get in terms of things like the numbers of depth of colors you can capture um the the dynamic range meaning the range of light to dark that you can capture in one image um the things like shallow depth of field you can create you know much richer shallow depth of field and from in larger sensors and and just performance all the way around so you know i think it's probably even more important than than the megapixels people fuss over and of oh by the way it's a 24 megapixel camera um i like the, the viewfinder is is small and bright it's not it doesn't look like it's slapped on as an afterthought you actually look through it like you would have a normal camera and it's very bright inside um it's an electronic viewfinder i was at when I was at the Photo Plus Expo show, I was listening to Matthew Jordan Smith talk about Sony because um, he become a, he became a Sony ambassador. And he, and he talks about he said one of the things he liked about them was the electronic viewfinder, and he talks about you know when you look through your DSLR, you see what you're going to take, but you don't see how it's going to look because you it doesn't show you if something will be over or underexposed you have to, have to you actually have to take the photograph and then look at the LCD screen after and see what you captured and then and then make adjustments but with an electronic viewfinder when you're looking through your viewfinder you can see right away if if you're taking a photograph and your subject is backlit and so they look more like a silhouette now you see that before you even press the button the shutter to take the photograph so you can start to make an adjustment 
even before you waste uh, your time taking a photograph you're not going to like. So that's one of the cool things about the electronic viewfinder is that you, you actually, what you see is really what you get and you get to make adjustments on the fly because you are shooting what you are actually capturing. One of the things I think is cool with the, if you go to manual, uh, manual focus on these cameras, you will have this thing called focus peaking. Meaning, one, if, you in, if you're in manual focus, one of the big frustrations is you're not quite sure if your subject is in focus or not. Well, with these cameras, you know because you get little marching ants around the edges of the objects or subjects that are actually in focus. So what that means is if you are, let's say I'm taking a picture of you standing in front of a field of sunflowers. And let's say that I want to make sure that you, of course, that your eyes or your you are the one who is in focus and the camera is not fooled by anything going on behind you. So with focus peaking, the marching ants would be around the edges of your face so that I so that I would know when I'm focusing, ah, this is what I'm now optimized to sharply, what, what I'm focused on, and this is what will be sharpest when I actually am done with the image. So I thought that was really cool too. That's one of the things you'll get in, in the electronic viewfinder. You know, you've got the built-in Wi-Fi, which almost all cameras have. That's a, a draw now, and for a small camera, it, for, it will be a necessity, I think, because one of the things you want to do is be able to post quickly. So like I said, you know, I came back from shooting my July 4th pictures and I still haven't posted any because I haven't taken the time to turn on my computer, download them, you know, put them into, in, you know, into, into my editing software, edit them, export them, and then load them. Sometimes I just can't be bothered. And it, I think it would be easier if I could just export right away and, and get it up onto the on onto the computer or my 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 iPad so I can at least see them it it shoots 11 frames per second which is just a phenomenal speed if you think about the DSLRs in that price range they all top out at about five or six frames a second and if you t if you take this camera you hold down the shutter it will just go like a machine gun it's it sounds like you have a top of the line like the, the canon 1dx where you, you know that's about 11 frames a second you hold it down it just it, it it's rapid fire which is good if you're shooting things fast moving objects like like sports or uh or or you're out in nature just maybe a bird's going by or something like that um you want to be able to have um that fast response it um ISO range goes to twenty five thousand six hundred. It's you know par for the course now to have that kind of uh, that kind of performance in ISO. That the autofocus is the thing you you hear most people who have tested this camera rave over. It has an extremely fast autofocus in terms of acquiring the subject, meaning if you're walking down the street and you're doing street photography, you and you decide you want to, you know, focus on someone walking to you, it acquires them much faster, and then it locks onto them, and then continuous autofocus holds onto them as they continue walking past you, so you can photograph it. Once you've acquired the subject, at any point, you can continue firing and know that they'll be sharply in focus, which is one reason why this is a, a, 
a, a choice for lots of street photographers. You can, um, you know, see someone capture them really quickly. And even if you're tracking them, know that they'll still always still be in focus. And, and this works because it uses this technology called, you know, in the past, it, uh, these cameras only used a contrast uh, autofocus detection system. Uh, and now it uses it, it it uses what's called a phase detection points and and these I don't want to get too technical it uses two beams of light it's it's a lot more accurate than the contrast would be and it it you know contrast is when you see the camera sort of zooming in and out you know hunting for it before it can actually lock in lots of times that's because it's looking for contrast and especially in low light it's tough for cameras to find well this one uses uh, the phased detection points and it has 179 phase detection point points in the autofocus system which if you compare it to like a nikon d5300 only that only has 39 so you have a lot more opportunities to lock in and as i said follow and track so so then the autofocus is probably leaps and bounds ahead of what you would get even on the the uh, the DSLR system and even the the Canon um, 7D Mark II, which is supposed to be you know really good autofocusing system, especially for sports. Um, I think they say the A6000 is comparable, if not better. Um, so then you have, of course, your, exp your access to the exposure tri triangle controls. The PASM is up top, as well as the exposure compensation buttons. Of course, again, if you're shooting, you want quick and easy access to that. Um, the sensor, it's not just 24 megapixel, but they've done, you know, it's kind of interesting. They have, they found that when they make these mirrorless cameras, because there's no mirror there, the lens comes back and it's closer to the sensor. And because it's closer to the sensor, when you're shooting with a wide angle uh, lenses, on the corners, you will see that it's used, there's a light fall off. It gets to be a little dark. And in these cameras now, what they've done with this model, and you probably see a lot more going forward, is they've sort of bent the four corners of the sensor in just a little bit so that it now captures and reflects even more light throughout your image. So not even, even if you're using a wide-angle lens, the four corners will still be as bright as the inside. And then... Um, you have a you or you still have the the adapter thing if you decide you want to use this as a backup for your regular DSLR. So I looked at all these things and and a lot of these features you will find not just in the A6000 but in other models. So these are the kinds of things you might ask about or look for, but they're all in this one and this one that's that's why for six to eight hundred dollars I think it makes it probably the best quality. Um, you can get in a today anyway, as of you know July fifth, twenty fifteen, and of course that camera was you know released in twenty fourteen, so they're probably working on an upgrade for it any day now, um, which even even crazier to think about. Um, Sony, I think all not I think, but Sony also, if you're looking, you know, for something at a higher price point with a little, you know, uh, a little more sophisticated, the, you know, the A7R, which was comparable to the, when they released it anyway, I, I wrote about it, it was comparable in terms of 36 megapixels to what 
Nikon shooters were raving about in the D800. Same, you could get the same level quality, but in in a much smaller um, body. And now they're you know up the game till you can get even more than that. And so you have options. The A72 is probably the best price point for a professional level. Um, camera or very for an a serious enthusiast where you're going to spend close to two thousand dollars or more so i'll I'll have links to all of these and of course again you have you know again seven different manufacturers making them i just think sony right now on, on this front is probably doing a lot more of the innovative stuff in 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 this market and of course they're continuing to expand their their lens, um, the line of lenses they have available to them. So you'll have that as well. It, now, these are just, you know, things to think about. You will find people passionate about, you know, other models and other manufacturers just as just as much. And, and you can make an argument for a wide range, which is why I'm going to have all the list of all 10 so that you can see what your options will be in in this space if you're thinking about going the mirrorless route. So now, what's next? One of the things, I'm going to practice what I preach. And so before I, you know, I, I pull the trigger, I'm going to rent it. And so over probably the next week or so, um, I'm going to try and get it and then get out and, and use it in real world and see if I still am as enthusiastic about it as I am just from playing with it in the store and researching it online. And if that's the case, then probably we'll go ahead and, and pull the trigger. So that's that's my story anyway, in terms of mirrorless. And, and then why I think it's, it's time for, you know, mirrorless cameras to get serious consideration, even from people who um, want to, for whom control of the and create of of your image and being able to create is very important and getting performance and quality out of your images is just as important and you don't want to give any of that up just because you're going light this is a good time to think about mirrorless cameras as an option for you so now i've asking about you you heard about uh, mirrorless cameras and you sort of see where I am in my journey w what about you are you shooting mirrorless already or are you considering shooting mirrorless anytime soon I'd love to know about that you know how are you um, thinking about or seeing this and what other questions might you have that I might not have answered here you can go to um, shutterbuglife.com forward slash podcast put in 027 because this is the 27th episode and, and share your experiences there or let me know at least what you're thinking about or, or ask any questions. I'd love to hear those as well. Uh, you can also go to the bit.ly link and it's bit.ly forward slash shutterbuglife027 and that will get you to directly to this episode with the show notes um, for this episode and all the other links that I've been discussing. All right. So I'd love to hear about that. Or you can even ask it in any of the um, platforms we have. We have, of course, the Facebook group that you can get to fb.shutterbuglife.com. And I've also um, 
taken my Facebook page, and it's now a Shutterbug Life page, the one I had when I did Photo Tour DC, and you can get to that at facebook.com forward slash Shutterbug Life Community. So, again, all these links are online and uh, plenty of places for you to engage and ask your questions and talk about your experiences so that, that, you know, what you're experiencing, someone else might find interesting or even helpful in their journey. All right. So that's it for that. Thank you so much. I hope that was helpful for you. And we will be back in a second with some closing thoughts. All right, thank you so much again for, as we continue with the completely biased camera buying guide, the mirrorless camera edition. I hope that was helpful for you. Hey, if you enjoy what we're doing, and I'm hearing from some of you that you are, so um, really cool to hear that. Uh, Steve just posted, Steve uh, Rosenbach, you know, old friend of mine, just posted that he's making his way through them. It's so cool to see. Steve was one of our founding members of our meetup group almost seven years ago and uh, just been someone who I've just always enjoyed shooting with. And so it's good to see that even Steve found something useful in our podcast episodes. And the rest of you, too, who I heard from on the... the the episode, of course, as I said in the intro, where what that I released earlier this week on photographing fireworks. Glad to hear so many of you found that helpful as well. Hey, I do this every week, and the episode goes begins the week. I post it sometime Sunday night, send an email out Monday morning. And if you want to make sure that you don't miss any of those, you want to subscribe. Go to shutterbuglife.com forward slash subscribe and share your your name and your email address. And when I post not just the podcast, but blog posts that might be helpful for you, I'll send out a note, never more than about one or two per week, and just update you so that you can stay engaged. Of course, you can find the podcast on iTunes. Go to itunes.shutterbuglife.com and it'll take you straight there. And you can subscribe there and, you know, leave a review. I'd love to hear that. would love to see some more of those. That'd be great. And then Stitcher also is another. If you listen to podcasts there, you can find us there as well. Now, now, I'm going to ask another. There's an, here's another ask. If you like it, share it with a friend. Right. And, you know, let's 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 expand this community, get some more shooters in more people who are enthusiasts so that we can all continue to learn, to share and to grow together and to reach our true potential. And not only that, but I think it's just so cool to be able to share this passion of ours with kindred spirits. And that's what you are for me. And so that's why I'm so glad that you have decided to join and start the week with the Shutterbug Life Podcast. That's it for this week. I will be back again, of course, next week. And until then, go out there and shoot something awesome and enjoy your Shutterbug life. Take care.